Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to episode number eight of the Best Interest Podcast. I'm Jesse Kramer. I'm recording this on March 29th. 2021. And today I'm going to read from an article I just wrote. It's called 31 Lessons in 31 Years. And yes, it's because I I turned 31 a couple weeks ago. And although this article isn't focused on personal finance and investing, I received perhaps the most compliments I've ever gotten on the blog because of this article. I think it really uh, it really resonated with some readers. They really enjoyed the lessons and so I think you'll like them too. But then after that article, we do have two listener questions today, and they are definitely investing-focused. The first one is about the difference between a Roth accounts and traditional accounts, and then the second question is all about those pesky investing fees. So with that, let's get on with the show. Yes, so we can get the lame stuff out of the way. I turned 31 years old on March 22nd. Yippee, good for me. Um, Last year when I turned 30, I wrote about the amazing growth that can occur in a single decade from age 20 to age 30. So I'll link to that, that article in the show notes. But for this 31st birthday, I went back and I considered 31 valuable lessons that coincide roughly with each year of my life. Some are specific to personal finance and investing, whereas others are much more general. I think you'll recognize, though, as we go along. Let's just dive right in. Number one, it's tough being helpless. I, like you, was a helpless little butterball. Thankfully, human parents make huge sacrifices to help their helpless kids. So thank you, mom and dad. But that courtesy ends at some point, and eventually you've got to learn to help yourself. Number two. Be nice to the bigger fish. I was the youngest of three boys. If I didn't play nice with my brothers, I might get shoved down in the snow. And the same thing happens in adulthood, but the shove and the snow look a little different. Number three, eat cake. There's a photo of my second or maybe my third birthday where I'm eating sour cream coffee cake, and it's still to this day my favorite dessert. Life is better with cake, or whatever your version of cake might be. If we can't eat cake, then what is this all about? Number four, play games. Some of my earliest memories at home involve playing games, Jim Rummy, Parcheesi, Magic the Gathering, with my parents or my brothers. Turns out that real life, too, involves a little bit of math, some strategy, luck, skill, politics, memory, pattern recognition, all those things. Games, after all, turns out they're more than just games. Number five, People want to watch the world burn. In kindergarten, Eric, who's still one of my best friends, and I built this awesome tower out of foam blocks. And then Robert, who I don't know and is not one of my friends anymore, Robert came over and with zero hesitation kicked the tower down. Our creation was strewn about the carpeted floor. Our 12 minutes of hard work turned into rubble. The world has no shortage of Roberts. It's a good lesson to learn early. Number six, helping is fun. Uh, First grade involved forays into arithmetic. It came pretty easily to me. 
And P.S. Six-year-olds don't outwork other six-year-olds to get good at multiplication. It's just luck of the draw. But I also learned in first grade that I liked helping people. I liked them help. I, I enjoyed helping them understand their multiplication. Helping people is fun. Uh, number seven, don't compound your negatives. Embarrassed about I don't remember what, I threw a kickball in anger at my gym teacher when she tried to console me. Sorry about that, Mrs. Markowski. Teachers, it turns out, disapprove of students hurling kickballs at them. I compounded one small negative that I don't even remember with a much larger one, which was throwing the kickball at her, and I definitely remember that one. So don't let your negatives compound. Number eight, failure happens. I was a good student, so getting a C on a math test in third grade was devastating for me at the time. I didn't have the tools to deal with what I deemed to be a massive failure. It's a good lesson to learn early, and it's certainly a lesson you'll learn often. Failure happens. Dealing with failure is an amazing skill, and I'm still practicing. Number nine, some things aren't worth learning. In the 1990s, and maybe still today, New York's fourth graders spend a month of social studies lessons learning about the architectural aspects of Iroquois longhouses. Anthropology is important. Understanding other cultures is vital. But I shudder when comparing the millions of people hours, not an exaggeration, spent on Iroquois longhouses versus the utility of that knowledge in our lives today. Batched roofs, they aren't that important. Lesson number 10, the eye of the beholder. During one of Mr. Gill's entertaining fifth grade science lessons, I yawned right in front of him. To me, it was a simple, innocent yawn. I was just tired. But when I saw Mr. Gill's reaction, I immediately knew that I had done something wrong. So I paused, I retraced my previous five seconds, and then I realized, oh no, oh no. Mr. Gill, he interpreted my yawn as disrespect, that I was openly and rudely signaling boredom right in front of him. So I quickly apologized. I assured him I meant no harm. And thankfully, he saw my sincerity. Now that is an amazing lesson. My uh, intentions do matter, but, but so do the way that our intentions are interpreted. Right? I didn't intend any harm, but Mr. Gill didn't interpret it that way. But also there's a lesson here that sincere apologies matter too. Number 11, Black Swans, Mr. Leone's 6th grade social studies classroom. That's where I was when we turned on the TV to see the Twin Towers fall on September 11th, 2001. Where were you? Now, some events, they are unforeseen, unpredictable, and yet have colossal consequences. These events are Black Swans. Number 12, first impressions are just impressions. Now, we had a new kid at school, and he was so cool. Within a couple days, he felt like an old friend, and he seemed to get along with everybody. But then, fast forward a month, and he kind of turned out to be a dick. Oops. First impressions can fool you. Number 13, strict is okay. Our 8th grade math teacher, Mrs. Sweet, she had a reputation for being strict. And yes, listener, it is ironic that Mrs. Sweet did not have a sweet reputation. But she was perhaps the best math teacher I ever had. Learning algebra from her was so easy. Maybe it was because we were all scared to death about goofing off. But hey, it worked. Strict equals structure. And many humans need that structure. Number 14, 
We live different stories. In ninth grade, one of my classmates got into an argument with the teacher. He, the student, was sent to the principal's office for punishment. But instead of complying, he just opened up the classroom window, hopped out of that window, and walked to the local diner. At the time, I could never imagine doing this, but that's because he and I lived different lives. To him, the point of school, this lesson, this assignment, this discipline, it wasn't worth understanding. Looking back now, I get it. I do get it. I understand at least a little bit his point of view. Different lives, different lenses. Same world, different perceptions. Number 15. Work is greater than talent. I played basketball my entire childhood. I felt like I was a shoe-in to be a starting guard on the junior varsity basketball team in my freshman year. Nope. While my skills were there, I was chubby and slow. And even for small school JV basketball, I didn't have the athleticism to make an impact on the court. I was a liability. So that summer, I worked on my game. I pushed to get faster and stronger. And yes, a four-inch growth spurt definitely helped. And as a sophomore, I was the starting point guard on our varsity team. Number 16, you control the pace. Now, basketball was great fun, but I was most at home on the pitching mound in baseball. And as all good pitchers know, well, all good pitchers know this lesson. The pitcher controls the pace of the game. And thanks, Dad, for teaching me that one. So as a pitcher, if you feel rushed, you just step off the mound and regroup. If you're in flow and you want to keep going, then get set and force the batter to step up to the plate. Nobody can push the pitcher to go faster or slower than they want to. Now, life doesn't always allow you to control the pace in this way, but it usually does. And after all, it's your life. Don't let other people set your pace for you. Uh, lesson number 17, once in a lifetime. So despite these basketball and baseball stories, my high school, Red Creek, it was a soccer school. We had a Hall of Fame coach and great players, winning three New York State titles in four years right around my graduation. I didn't play soccer during my junior and senior years. Why? Well, it's because I would have probably sat the bench all season, uh, so I spent my autumn working on basketball and baseball instead. But in retrospect, I missed opportunities to hang out with friends, to play for a great Hall of Fame coach, and yes, to sit through some rainy fall nights on some hard aluminum benches, watching my friends and teammates push towards a state title. In retrospect, I should have played. I missed that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but instead I got a life lesson. Take advantage of your precious opportunities. Uh, number 18, the wide world. Leaving Little Red Creek to head to the quote-unquote big city of Rochester, New York, and the truly international University of Rochester, that was a life-changing choice. So go see the world. Uh, lesson number 19, life is delicate. In January 2010, in our intramural basketball championship game, I watched my teammate Jeff soar through the air and throw down an NBA-style put-back dunk. Fast forward one year, January 2011. Jeff got in a fight at a fraternity house, and he was stabbed in the chest, and he stumbled outside, and he died in the delicate Rochester snow. And life, too, is delicate. Lesson number 20, just try it. 
At the end of my sophomore year at Rochester, I picked up a squash racket for the first time. Now, 12 years later, I'm still playing squash three to four times a week. Trying new things can change your life. Lesson 21, message versus messenger. Great content from a good teacher. Well, that's an easy home run. We all know that. A good teacher can also turn bad content into a useful lesson. But a bad teacher can turn good content into a dull lesson. And you might miss important lessons because the teacher was bad, not the lesson itself. So it's all too easy in life to confuse the messenger for the message. The better you are at separating the two, the more you'll learn. Lesson 22, holding on to anger. Holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You are the one who gets burned. And that was said by a guy named Buddha. So thanks, Buddha. Great point. Uh, have I mentioned my sports background? So my competitive nature, guys, it has led me to uh, have plenty of what I would call on-court anger. And I'm still faulty. I'm still competing at things, still trying to improve, and, and still at sometimes I get angry on court. Uh, but 99.9% .9 of the time, I've just been burning myself. Lesson number 23, tough conversations are tough, but vital. So when I go back and I looked at my failed relationships, whether platonic or romantic, one common denominator is my hesitation or inability to have tough conversations. My alternative usually is a form of bottle till you burst. That bottling up of emotions is much, much worse than having the tough conversation in the first place. Lesson 24, know when to quit. I quit studying plasma physics in grad school because, well, you might be able to guess, Plasma physics was too complex for my Newtonian monkey brain. I quit my PhD program because the publish or perish lifestyle didn't really interest me. And I quit two jobs that weren't working out. Quitting is hard. You might regret it, but probably not. Because if your gut and your brain both think that quitting is right, then it's probably right. Lesson number 25. So many fish, so much noise. The sheer number of people in the world still catches me off guard. There are so many experts, so many opinions, so many thought leaders and pundits, and my big biggest hesitancy behind the best interest, whether writing or podcasting, is this little nagging question in my mind, am I just another armchair expert who is adding more noise than signal? Now, I continue this work because I believe I'm providing signal, and you listeners and you readers of the blog frequently say as much. But it's an important lesson nonetheless. In this chaotic global ocean, we should all strive to output more signal and less noise. Lesson number 26, surround yourself with smart people. Quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And quote, if you're the smartest person in the room, then find a different room. Now, these are both so cliche, but they're also pretty true. So there are two quick anecdotes I have. The first one, many of you might know this, I work with a bunch of satellite engineers. Turns out that learning from smart people is pretty fun. And then the second anecdote is I'm proud of the way my friend groups have succeeded in life. And I absolutely attribute their success and our communal success to our ability to inspire one another and to grow with one another.
Lesson number 27, this is water. I don't really have a description here. In the blog post, I have an amazing video that helps me out during what I call quarter-life crises. It's a video of author David Foster Wallace giving a commencement sheet, uh, commencement speech, I believe at Kenyon College in Ohio. And if you look it up on YouTube or if you go to the blog, I'll throw a link in the show notes. It's called This is Water. Lesson number 28, there's not enough time. We'd all love to have 30-hour days, the same sleep schedule, but give me six or more extra daytime hours. But that's fantasy land. In this world, we've got to make life work with only 24 hours a day, and that means we might have to kill our darlings or say no to things that we enjoy. So my two cents is to develop a bimodal mindset. Lesson 29, write more. Now, there's some self-bias here, but I think that writing makes you better. Whether it's journaling, a diary, a blog, a book, a newsletter, maybe just an email to your friends, writing is good for you. Lesson 30, be nice, give compliments. Now, I am far from a social maven, but I do have this one trick that I lean on. Socializing is easy when I use it, and it's hard when I don't. The trick is, one, be nice, and two, give compliments. Now, the trick within the trick is that you have to be genuinely nice, and you have to give genuine compliments. You can't bullshit people because they'll know. Uh, so I think the parts where I fail, or the times when the trick doesn't work for me, is simply because sometimes I don't feel like I'm in a genuinely nice mood, and so I don't really say anything at all. And that's it's hard to be social when you don't say anything at all. But if people associate you with positivity, happiness, kindness, generosity, then the world will open up for you. Lesson number 31, listen to your partner. Uh, Kelly, my girlfriend, she knew that I'd enjoy fostering dogs before I knew it. So I pushed back against the idea. But now, of course, I love having dogs in our house. Kelly was right. I should have listened. I'll be better. So thanks, guys. Those are my 31 lessons in 31 years. All right, we're going to transition over to our two listener questions today. The first one comes from Elliot, who asked about the differences between Roth accounts and traditional accounts. So that's a great question, Elliot. And I know plenty of people are asking the same question every day on Google. It's a very popular question. So folks, both Roth and traditional investing accounts have tax advantages or tax savings, but they differ on when those savings are applied. So traditional IRAs and traditional 401ks, they say you don't have to pay an income tax today. Instead, you can take that money and invest it. That money will grow for many years. And then when you retire and take distributions or when you remove money from your account, then it'll be taxed at whatever the tax rates are at that point in time. So my 401k, it's full of money that has never been taxed. When I can access my traditional 401k in about the year 2050, it'll be taxed as income at whatever the tax rates are in 2050. Of course, we don't know what those tax rates will be, so there's a bit of uncertainty in that choice. But I also have a Roth IRA. And Roth accounts, they offer the opposite tax advantage. I already paid income taxes today on the money that I contribute to my Roth IRA. 
and then that money will grow for another 30 years, and in 2050, I'll be able to access that money tax-free. So with Roths, I pay taxes today, but I pay no taxes later. With a traditional account, I pay no taxes today, but I do pay taxes later. So which one is better? And uh, the, the answer there is, it, let's go back to what I always say here on this podcast. There's a balance in the answer between math and psychology. That's how you'll figure out which one is better. There's a math answer and then there's a psychology answer. So from a math point of view, the question is this. Are taxes higher today than they will be when you retire? And also, are you earning more money today, which puts you in a higher tax bracket, than you will be when you start taking your retirement distributions or disbursements? We can't tell the future, so the question itself is murky. But generally, traditional accounts make sense when current taxes are high relative to historical standards. You prevent yourself from paying the current high taxes in exchange for having to pay whatever they are in the future, which is hopefully lower. And vice versa for a Roth. A Roth makes more sense when the current taxes are low. You'd rather pay now when they're low and prevent taxes later when they might be higher. The psychological answer, though, is this. Some people would rather pay taxes now no matter what, because then they won't have to ask themselves questions later about an unknown future. I totally get that answer. Your plans will be more concrete if they don't involve some sort of variable tax rate. Personally, I can only utilize a traditional 401k. I don't have the option at work of using a Roth 401k. And then I can choose either a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. I choose a Roth. Now, if you're able, I would suggest maximizing both accounts, or at least I should say that's what I do. And the reason why is because it helps me capture all the extra tax benefits I'm able. And when my retirement comes along, I like the fact that I'll have some choices. Perhaps Congress in 2052 will drastically raise tax rates. It'll make sense, therefore, for me to pull more money from my Roth during those years than from my traditional. But maybe in the year 2056, the policy will get reversed and low taxes will come back in style. Okay. At that point, I'll bite the bullet and pull from my traditional account, thankfully at a much lower tax rate than in the years immediately prior. Investing in both traditional and Roth accounts gives me that flexibility. It gives me that op those, those options. So, Elliot, thank you for the question. I hope that answered your question. Let me know if it didn't. And the second question today comes from a Twitter account called call to fraction not call to action call to fraction and call to fraction asked fees or expense ratios on a 401k or ira what is considered too high and may eat into gains in a material manner so the question is about investing fees and expense ratios uh, it's an excellent question so an expense ratio is the percentage of your assets that you pay each year to your broker or your brokerage. So for example, a 1% expense ratio means that each year you give 1% of that investment to the brokerage. So if you have, say, $500,000 in your 401k and everything in your 401k has a 1% expense ratio, then you owe $5,000, which is 1% of $500,000, as a fee this year. Next year, 
you're going to owe 1% of wherever your account is then. Forever and always, 1%. So in order to answer this question, I'm going to run through some simple numbers. I might write this up eventually as a supporting document on the blog. I'd encourage you to feel free to grab a pencil and paper and and, uh, write these down as I go. But I'm going to keep the numbers fairly straightforward. Let's imagine we have five identical investors. They use a Roth IRA, which we just covered. They invest $6,000 per year or $500 per month. And in this perfect hypothetical, each of the five investors average a 7% real return each year. They each do this for 25 years. And the only difference, the one and only difference between these five investors is the expense ratio that they pay. So one of them pays 0%. And even though this doesn't really happen in real life, it's good to use as a baseline, as a point of comparison. Then in order, the other four pay a tenth of a percent, five tenths of a percent, one percent, and 1.5%. And so the question is, how much less money do the fee payers end up after 25 years than our baseline who had zero fees? So the answer is, the zero fee investor ends up with $406,000. The 0.1% investor, which was the lowest fee, they end up with $399,000, which is $7,000 or about 1.5% less than the zero fee person. Not bad, right? $7,000 over the course of 25 years for the privilege of investing in the stock market. That's not, not too bad. Now the next, we have the 0.5% investor. They end up with $376,000, or 7.3% less than the ideal investor. Again, this isn't, it's not great to lose 7.3% of your money, but it's, it's an understandable fee structure in that, play, in, that, in that instance. And then after that is where we kind of start getting into some, what I would consider, troubling waters. So the 1% investor... The, the investor with the 1% fee, they end up with $348,000, which is $58,000 less than the ideal investor, or about 14% of the total nest egg. And then the 1.5% fee investor, they end up with $323,000, or 20% less than the ideal investor, which is, uh, let's see, 77 plus 6, that's $83,000 less than ideal. So, Remember, guys, the investors here, they're the ones taking all of the risk. They're putting up all of the money. Therefore, we want the investor to receive all of the reward or as much reward as possible. So the low fee comes close to fulfilling this goal. They paid $7,000 over 25 years. Not bad. But the high fee investor, they lost 20% of their total reward. That was $80,000 over 25 years which is 10 times more than what the low-fee investor paid. So what's the threshold? Now, in an open marketplace where you have unlimited choices, I'd aim for fees lower than 0.1% or lower than the lowest hypothetical that I just went through. So why do I say that? Well, my main investment uh, expense ratios, they're in the 0.05% range or five parts in 100 in, in investment lingo, this would be five basis points. I'd start to hesitate if I was putting uh, significant money into a fund with fees higher than 
But some plans, some 401k plans, for example, have limited options. And a good example of this is my health savings account. Uh, so my health savings account does allow me to invest that money that I have in my HSA, but I only have about eight funds to choose from, and all of the choices are in the 0.5 to 0.75% range. And so you might ask, is paying 0.5% worth it, or am I better off just not investing that money at all? And this is where this is a situation where I've chosen to bite the bullet and invest. Uh, even if those fees eat at 10% of the account over decades worth of time, I'm still making huge compound gains that I otherwise wouldn't have. So another way of saying it is that when comparing high fees to the idea of not investing at all, high fees are the lesser of two evils. Now that said, low fees always win. Great question, call to fraction. And with that, guys, if you want to get your questions answered on the show, uh, you can reach me at jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can follow me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. And uh, if I could, I need a favor from you guys. If you found this entertaining and informative, I hope you'll consider taking somewhere around one minute to rate and review the Best Interest podcast. I think it's a great economic trade. I'll keep pumping out entertaining and informative content. And the only thing I ask of you is this small one-minute favor because rating and reviewing the podcast, it helps me out. It helps out the Best Interest in the long run. If this thing catches on, which I really hope it does, it's going to bring more information and entertainment to more listeners and your rating and review. It can help me get there. Or, of course, I always love it when people decide to take their one minute of time and they choose to share the content directly, whether by uh, Facebook or Twitter or MySpace or sending a smoke signal to your neighbor across town. However you want to share my content, I'm always grateful to see the best interest pop up on random places on Facebook and Twitter. It's fun to see that out there. Why? Because Ben Franklin once said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest, and sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening to episode number eight of the Best Interest Podcast. Mm-hmm.